Specialty Story, session number 28. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you will want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information you need to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host today and every week here on the Specialty Stories. Today, I have a great guest for you, somebody who has been on my pre-med years podcast talking about his journey to medicine and, and his podcast, Docs Outside the Box. This week, we're talking to Dr. Ni nee Darko. Let's go ahead and dive right in. My name is Ni nee Darko, and my specialty is trauma surgery. Are you an academic or community-based trauma surgeon? I am a community-based trauma surgeon. How long have you been practicing? I have been practicing for about four and a half years now, close to five years. When did you know you wanted to be a trauma surgeon? I knew I wanted to be a trauma surgeon in two points in my career. Um, the fir- Well, actually, two points in my life. The first one was um, as a 17-year-old, um, I had an opportunity to shadow a, a trauma surgeon in Newark, New Jersey. Had a, an amazing opportunity where I shadowed him, and my first night, my parents dropped me off in front of their emergency room with him, and you know we chatted for a little bit, and then they left, and I was going to spend a night with him, basically, and uh, in the hospital. And uh, he brought me in to a trauma bay and someone had just recently just gotten shot and they were doing a full evaluation of the patient. The patient is screaming, he's in pain, but there's like this whole chorus of nurses and, you know, different medical staff uh, helping this person. And the trauma surgeon that I was shadowing was on at one corner of the room kind of just conducting this stuff. And it almost seemed like to me, almost like, you know, almost like an orchestra. But for me, it was chaos, but it just seemed like you know, like this was like a concerted type of chaos. Anyway, long story short, uh, the patient got taken to the operating room. I couldn't go to the operating room because I obviously was just a, I wasn't even a volunteer. So about an hour and a half later, two hours later, um, I did see the trauma surgeon come out. He talks to the family. You know, they start crying. It's a beautiful scene. The patient, you know, apparently did well. And from then I was hooked, you know, because, you know, it was something for me, that was very powerful to see a patient come through the ED screaming. This one person is kind of controlling this whole scene of chaos. And then he just says, enough is enough. Let's stop. Let's go upstairs. He does whatever he needed to do at that moment, comes back, comes out of the operating room as this big superhero and kind of saves a day. So, you know, in my immature mind at that time, I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. Boom. Fast forward, you know, into residency now where this is like what, 10 years later, 12, 10 or 12 years later. As a as a resident in at Grady Memorial Hospital in Atlanta, Georgia, I just noticed that you know there are general surgeons and then there are general surgeons who kind of do everything, including trauma. And um, I just found myself kind of moving towards the end of. I like taking out gallbladders. I like taking out appendixes. I even like doing you know various type of surgical oncology type things. But the things that really get me going um, is basically operating on the unknown. And for me, that's the fun part about trauma is you don't know what's coming through the door. 
door. And oftentimes when a patient comes through and is talking to you, you don't know exactly what's injured. So you have to use all of these different, you know, detective type qualities to figure out exactly what's going on. Um, so for me, I just felt as though trauma surgery was the best mix for me in terms of, you know, taking care of patients who need things like appendix and, you know, the gallbladder or small bowel obstructions. But also at the same time, I get to kind of use these Superman qualities and be in these high adrenaline, um, high stressful situations, such as someone getting hit by a car, being stabbed um, or being shot. What traits do you think lead to being a good trauma surgeon? I think um, patience is a big trait. Um, I think a lot of times with trauma, you don't know what's going on. So a lot of things are going on at the same time. And the ability to just be patient and just kind of watch and take your pulse and remember that you're not the person who's injured is a big quality. Um, the second quality, I think, uh, also is just leadership, understanding that this is a very highly stressful situation. Um, even people within um, the medical community or in your medical staff, they may be in a very stressful situation and maybe just be focusing on one thing. But the ability to just kind of take a step back, be patient, and also at the same time have these leadership qualities where you're directing people in a way that's respectful and in a way that has um, some direction um, is something that I think really talks very well about that trauma surgeon. And I think it, it, it leads to really good results because you have to remember no man is an island, particularly in medicine. And although ultimately you will be making decisions on your own, you are leading a team. And if you can lead them, lead them effectively it's always going to end up, for the most part, with good results uh, for the patient. Were there any other specialties in the running while you were a medical student that, that pulled <laughs> for your attention? Oh, yeah. Uh, so initially, I thought I wanted to be a, an, an obstetrician. Now, that was because, um, you know, I, I don't know if, you, if, if, if your listeners have a chance to listen to the previous tapes. One of my biggest inspirations was actually the Cosby Show. And as you know, uh, uh, Bill Cosby, his character was an obstetrician. And for me, that was a very positive um, male figure, a positive African-American figure, a positive African-American doctor figure that I wanted to be like. So I thought initially I wanted to be a, an obstetrician. So in medical school, I was actually the first year representative for the OB-GYN club and um, quickly <laughs> uh, thereafterwards realized that it wasn't for me. Um, so OB was in the running for a short period of time. Orthopedic surgery also was... Uh, in the running for a very, very short period of time also. And um, everything kind of fell by the wayside when I did a, a rural general surgery rotation in the middle of Kansas. And um, I knew that general surgery was for me. Describe a typical day for you. Typical day is um, I get into the hospital by seven o'clock in the morning. There is a sign out uh, period that occurs. And what occurs during that time is we talk about all the patients on the list anything major that occurred the night before, uh, and we talk about the plan for the next basically 12 to 24 hours. And this occurs not only with me and a physician assistant, but also occurs with the other trauma surgeons who are taking care of various parts of the hospital. So there is a trauma surgeon who's taking care of the intensive care unit. There's a trauma surgeon who's taking care of just emergency general surgeries like gallbladders and appendectomies and so forth. And then there's someone like me, um, who we rotate through various um, services, but I'm the one who's doing all the intake for all the traumas, the car accidents, the stab wounds that come through the ED. And then we talk about that during the day. We finish that around roughly around eight o'clock. And from eight o'clock until basically 7 p.m., we're 
I am handling different duties. If my pager goes off and someone comes through to trauma bay, then I have to go and evaluate them and assess them. If uh, something happens with a trauma patient that is on the general floor, um, then I go and I evaluate them and I write my notes for the day and, and then we move on. And then at 7 o'clock p.m., um, we do our sign-out uh, process among all of us again. And whoever's on at night um, handles any situation that needs to occur at night. And then we do it all over again. What types of patients do you treat? I treat uh, patients from all walks of life. Um, I treat pediatric patients. I treat uh, elderly patients, patients who fall down the stairs. And you can think of it as, you know, I fall in, I can't get up type of <laughs> situations, you know, and um, I take care of uh, patients in their, their, you know, late teens, 20s. Um, as a trauma surgeon, the majority of patients that you're going to see that I see are patients in their teens to, you know, mid to late 20s and 30s. That's kind of the quote unquote invincible years where people think that they're invincible and hence <laughs> the behavior that they do is is uh, more reckless, um, drinking and driving, you know, jumping off a cliff just to kind of impress friends um, or just, you know, conflict resolution where people may um, resort to violence, whether it's, you know, a gun or, or a knife or what have you. Um, so that's that's the majority of patients that I see, and then obviously there's a huge boom of geriatric patients and the baby boomer generation, which is getting older and falls and um, different types of uh, mechanisms for them. Um, they probably end up being the second largest uh, patient population that I deal with. Also, what percentage of your work is true trauma versus more general? I'd say roughly 70% of my job is true trauma, um, car accident, gunshot wounds, stab wounds, as well as critical care. You know, we take care of them in the intensive care unit. And about 30% is general surgery. Okay. What percentage of patients that you see as a trauma surgeon are you actually bringing to the operating room to to operate on? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, that's a small amount. I'd say realistically, maybe 10, 15% of those patients that actually come through the trauma bay get taken to the operating room for various operations, whether it's removing a spleen or you know, fixing a liver laceration or um, even doing a washout of an exposed bone or someone who's in a motorcycle crash and has you know some road rash. Um, a very small percentage of patients get taken to the operating room. And that's been a significant shift from trauma surgery that, you know, me and you, our generation knows from, you know, the TV show Emergency or, you know, any of the TV shows in the 70s and 80s where basically if you were in a car accident, they didn't have CT scans back then. There wasn't readily uh, access to ultrasound. So, you know, if you were in a car accident and a, and a surgeon suspected that you had something going on in your abdomen, well, pfft, you got taken to the operating room and whether that, you know, showed anything, it didn't matter. You know, that was the basically dogma back then was, hey, if, 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 if your blood pressure is low and we suspect that it could be something in your abdomen, you get cut open. <laughs> and now with CT scans and ultrasounds and how fast they can scan someone and how well we resuscitate with IV fluids and we're able to keep people's blood pressure at a certain point. You know, those days are, are, are way behind us. And nowadays you can really stu you can study someone and, you know, take a look in their abdomen or in their chest and um, have some decision making 
um, have more information before you take them to the operating room. So it has changed a lot. Do you have to take a lot of call? Yes. Um, well, the way in which I work is probably the way in which trauma surgery and probably the rest of medicine is eventually going to be going. So I work in a two-week-on, two-week-off type model. And what that means is it's basically like shift work. So for two weeks, I am I and another surgeon alternate call for you know, about two weeks. And then for two weeks, I, I am done. I don't have any administrative work. I don't have any other type of uh, things that need to occur uh, in the hospital so I can get away and, and do what I need to do. So I am originally from the New York, New Jersey area. So I work hard in central Pennsylvania for two weeks. And then maybe for a week, I'm able to get home and see family. Um, so it's, it's, it's very attractive for people who are very, um, who really care about you know being able to travel or being able to um, do things with their families that they may not be able to do in a regular type of job where you're working basically you know Monday through Friday sometimes even some weekends for the entire month. Now it's tough during those two weeks. It's pain. <laughs> you know it's 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 tough, but you can do it. Um, but it's not for everybody. But at the same time, those two weeks off for me at least are very valuable. So when you say two weeks off, you're not just saying two weeks of call, two weeks of no call. You're saying two weeks of no patients, period. Right. So if I, if I operate on someone during the two weeks that I am working, and let's say they come back during the two weeks that I am off, we have an agreement among all the surgeons where basically it's no longer my patient, it's our patient. So if my patient comes in two weeks when I'm gone, then the other surgeons who are there, they take care of him, they treat him or her, and if there's any complications, they do things um, as if it's their patient. And that system works very well. And the reason why I say that's probably the wave of the future, it may not be two weeks in a row than two weeks off, but more and more specialties are taking on either a week on or however so many days on and then so many days off and then you're working as a team because just the amount of of work, the amount of patients that one person has to see and to be able to have the lifestyle that you want with the new generation coming up, millennials and even uh, Gen Zers, I don't even know who's after millennials, <laughs> but anyhow, you know, they're more in tune with their lifestyle and the old adage, the old notion of kind of being attached to a pager, you know, 24 seven, 365, those days are gone. Or at least the people who um, abide by that and, and, and like that, you know, those, those people are kind of slowly but surely being ushered out or retiring. Um, so lifestyle is more of a coming into center stage. And as a result, that type of schedule is becoming a lot more attractive. Do you feel like you have enough time for family? No. <laughs> and that's, that's real talk. No, because for two weeks I'm working really hard. And, um, you know, there it, prior to, uh, uh, this year, it was a situation where I spent 24 hours actually in the hospital. And then um, those 24 hours afterwards um, is something that's called backup, where you are available for another surgeon if they need you to come in. But oftentimes what ends up happening is, you know, if you have a gallbladder or an appendix that comes through at four o'clock in the morning, you don't want to pass that along to your partner. He's going to have the same struggles for 24 hours also. So what ends up happening is, you need to convince the OR to give you time to operate early in the day. But that doesn't happen that much because it's already filled with elective cases. So, you know, your appy that came in at four o'clock may not go until noon or two. 
So you've, you're spending an additional five hours, six hours in the hospital when you can be at home sleeping, um, what have you. But I'm not complaining, and this, that's not me poo-pooing, but that's just more or less trying to underscore the importance that those two weeks are very tough, and um, oftentimes you still may not be able to see loved ones or um, you know do what you may want to do during those two weeks. But for two weeks, you have off and you can catch up. Um, but it's not for everyone. And, um, you know, someone like me who's sacrificed a lot, had tunnel vision and missed a lot of weddings, missed a lot of funerals, missed a lot of um, recitals. You know, I, 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 I'm not going to lie. There are times when I come back and I say, hmm, has, is this really worth it? Is this what, you know, all of this was really worth it for, you know? And I think in order to be human, you have to have that type of thought process at one point. Now, whether you dwell on it or not, that that's you know individualized. I tend not to dwell on it, but I am very honest. If people ask me, I'm like, yeah, I did think about that, and I do have to say, hmm, you know, I question it sometimes, hmm. and um, you know, but it's 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 real talk. Because nowadays we talk about burnout, you know, among physicians. We talk about dissatisfaction among physicians, and I think that it's not complaining, but it's just bringing to light something that people before us never talked about. And it may have manifested in, you know, bad behaviors in the operating room, people throwing, uh, instruments or people talking down to other people. Um, but, uh, it's, I think it's important that we have these type of discussions now. Okay. What does the residency training and fellowship training path look like to become a trauma surgeon? So that is five years of general surgery residency. So for me, I did my general surgery residency with Morehouse School of Medicine in Atlanta, Georgia. And during those five years, I got general surgery training um, in general surgery and surgical oncology and ENT, neurosurgery, a little bit of some orthopedic surgery, a whole bunch of different various areas of, of general, excuse me, of surgery, but more or less focused on general surgery. After that, um, I am allowed to practice general surgery. I decided to do what's called a fellowship where I did additional training at the University of Miami um, Rider Trauma Center. And it was a one-year fellowship for me where I basically got as much experience in trauma as I could, as well as critical care experience. And once I finished that training, I am what's called board eligible to practice trauma surgery and critical care surgery, as well as I was already board eligible to practice general surgery. How competitive is trauma surgery? Not very. <laughs> Not very. Um, for obvious reasons, you know, trauma surgery, I think for a whole host of reasons, one being, I think a lot of people um, are a little nervous about the hours that you work with trauma. Second thing is, is it's very stressful. Um, but also at the same time, there's just a lot of programs out there that offer trauma. So it's not competitive in the realms of plastic surgery or, um, you know, uh, vascular surgery or any other type of um, subspecialty of, of or laparoscopic or bariatric surgery. Those are very competitive. Trauma surgery, for the most part, most people think of is not as competitive. Now, getting into the top trauma centers like a University of Miami, a um, uh, Grady Memorial Hospital, USC in, in California, um, or shock trauma in Maryland, you know, those, those are hard as heck to get into, right? Um, but there are trauma programs, other places that aren't so very hard to get into. What should a 
medical student and even a general surgery resident be doing to set themselves up to be a competitive applicant if they want to go to one of those top trauma centers? Well, I think the way in which you can make yourself a very competitive applicant um, from a, you asked not from a, what was before general surgery? You said uh, a medical student. Medical student. Yeah. So from a medical student perspective, the key things are if you're interested in trauma surgery, just know that first you have to set the groundwork by being a excellently trained general surgeon. So first you need to be able to show that you are very interested in general surgery. So whether that's going to different conferences or you're shadowing a general surgeon, obviously you're already doing rotate, you're going to be doing a rotation in general surgery. So you may want to do an additional um, uh, rotation as a third or fourth year, uh, you know, doing a sub internship uh, in, within that realm in general surgery or maybe even trauma surgery. Getting excellent letters of recommendation, obviously, as well as doing very well on your board examinations. Those things are very key to making sure that you get into a general surgery residency. That's the most important thing that you can do as a medical student. Once you become a general surgery resident, then once you, you've basically kind of given, well, first of all, have an open mind. Make sure that you are giving every rotation that you're doing enough um, attention and being as open as possible to basically learn as much as possible and know that, hey, you know, maybe I thought I wanted to do trauma surgery, but actually I'm really interested in surgical oncology or what have you. At that point, which usually should occur around your second or third year, then you can start getting yourself involved maybe in some research. Um, maybe you can start doing some additional trauma surgery rotations if you want to. Um, or even, um, you know, get yourself involved not just in research, but also in maybe co-authoring a chapter in a textbook if you're at a large institution that does that. So for me, um, there were, I was at the University of Miami. There were opportunities for not only medical students, but also for general surgery residents to kind of attach themselves to one or two general surgeons who were making a, um, a textbook. And the textbook could be 25, maybe even 30 chapters. So there's a lot of people who are needed to come together and be able to put the information to get this this textbook out. So there are plenty of opportunities to get yourself ready. But in terms of, you know, the big important things as a medical student, focus on getting into a general surgery residency. And then as a resident, then you can really start putting your hands in different ways to show how much of a commitment to trauma surgery you have. Looking back on your residency path and and specifically trauma uh, fellowship path, what would you have done differently when choosing the programs that you were applying to? That's a good question. Um, well, you know, I don't think I would do anything differently, actually. I think that the way how I did it was I, you know, I obviously as a, as a fourth year surgery resident at Grady Memorial Hospital where there's a lot of trauma done um, there are multiple trauma surgeons who've trained at various places and they've come to work at that hospital. So what I did is I queried all of them. I said, look, tell me about your program. I know you trained in, you know, XXY. I know you trained at, you know, YZ place. I know you trained here. And I would just, I went to various people and I just asked them, tell me about your program. Why do you think it'd be good for me to train there? And they gave me advice. And then, you know, I went online and I looked up more about those different programs and I actually ended up calling up the, the program directors and you know some didn't give me the time of day which is fine because they're probably busy um, but some did and I ended up talking to them about their program and you know one thing that people should understand medicine is extremely small world 
But as you start to get into more subspecialties, like trauma surgery, it's a very, very small world. So my chairperson knew the trauma director at Miami. And, um, you know, we ended up uh, being introduced in that fashion. I talked to him and he told me about the program. And, you know, I applied and I kept my fingers crossed and ended up working out for me, actually. And also at the same time, when you are applying, you get an opportunity to interview at these places if, if they give you an interview. And during your interview, it's an opportunity, obviously, for you to showcase how well you speak, how well you think, you know, how you are in person, outside, separate from a piece of paper, but also take it as an opportunity to interview them. Ask them, you know, how well, once people get a certain type of training, how well do you um, uh, train your residents or your fellows in graduating um, and also doing well in the board examinations. You know, how much experience do they get operating in in X? How much time do they get operating in Y? How much time do they get off? You know, those are all fair game. So, you are a DO. Yes, I am. You went to an allopathic residency program for general surgery. Yes, I did. Talk about that process. Right now, I'm looking at the match data for 2017 for surgery programs out of 1280 or 1276 positions that were filled only 64 were filled by osteopathic students talk about your your path to an allopathic residency as an osteopath what what do you have to recommend to those that are osteopaths looking to to follow in your footsteps right so my i'm going to give you guys my story so my story is look i hustled you know, I just, where I come from, it's no, nothing is given to you. You kind of just work hard and you grab an opportunity. You don't wait for someone to give you an opportunity. So, you know, for me, I, I knew that I wanted to do general surgery and I was actually open to doing a general surgery residency at a um, osteopathic program. So the question is, well, how did I end up at an allopathic program? So I went through the rounds of interviewing at, in, at all these different osteopathic programs and um, also at the same time, I said, let me just be safe. I know the, the card just stacked against me being a, an, an osteopath and applying with all of these allopathic um, students um, that, you know, I, it may be more difficult for me within the allopathic realm. But I said, let me just be on a safe side. Let me just interview at all these different places. So if it's still the same, I haven't checked the orth or the osteopathic match back then was earlier than the allopathic match. So I get a phone call from literally three or four general surgery programs within the osteopathic realm that they have matched outside of the match, which is, if anybody's familiar with how it was back then, that's well within their, um, you know, that's well within, you know, that's kosher for them. They, they, they at times will just, you know, agree to taking a certain person before the match. So basically, I had no other places that were available to me to get into a osteopathic general surgery residency. So basically, if I wanted to do that, I was screwed. But because I was saying, well, hmm, let me just go ahead and interview at these other places, these allopathic programs, I still had a, chan a chance within the allopathic realm. So knowing this, I actually ended up at the last minute doing a sub-internship at Morehouse School of Medicine in, um, uh, sorry, I did it in, um, in MICU, the Medical Intensive Care Unit. When I got there, I made it very 
clear that I am doing this MICU rotation because I tried to get into the SICU rotation and, you know, it just wasn't available. The, so the surgical I, intensive care unit. The surgical intensive care unit. I got lucky in that I had a very good um, pulmonology critical care physician. His name is Dr. Eric Flanau. And I was very upfront with him. And I said, I enjoy intensive care unit. But at the same time, Dr. Flanau, I'm really interested in being a surgeon. This was the only opportunity I took. And, or this is the only opportunity available to, available to me. You know, can I show you what I can do? And, and then can you maybe help me kind of get in with, you know, general surgery and kind of talk to them a little bit. So that's another opportunity that I just said, look, I'm just going to take it and put my business out there because at that time I was like, look, I know that, you know, I don't know if they take osteopathic residents or osteopathic medical students or not. Anyway, long story short, I got there four o'clock in the morning. I left at eight o'clock, all the things that you're supposed to be doing. I did papers. I did, um, you know, I, I did some presentations and then every now and then what I would do is I would ask Dr. Flanau, I would ask the residents, is it okay if I round with the trauma surgeons? And if, if anybody knows, usually they're not very separated, the ICU for medical patients versus surgical patients. So when they would round, I would just look and see that they're on the other side of the hallway rounding. I was like, let me see if I can go and, <laughs> and see what they're, ta- what they're doing. So I would go and, and be a- around in their, in their rounds. And I basically just kind of maneuvered and parlayed that into let me see how you guys do how what you guys do on a trauma night do you see what i'm saying so basically i just kind of started you know parlaying and putting my foot in the door and trying to you know <laughs> uh hustle my way into making sure they know who i am and uh long story short you know i got accepted into their program it wasn't until my second year that i had an opportunity as a general surgery re- resident that i had an opportunity to talk to the chairperson he told me he's like we took you because we saw what you can do and on paper you looked okay but there are a lot more qualified applicants than you and we've never ever taken an osteopathic medical student before and by the time i finished that program when i graduated they told me that i was the best resident that has ever come through that has ever come through that program and that i have basically for that program made sure that if any osteopathic medical student was ever interested in that program you know, that they would take them a lot more seriously. Now, for me, that means a lot, you know, because, you know, I, I think, you know, obviously getting into a general surgery program is hard enough, but then kind of thinking that we're all the same, we're all going through the same, you know, trial, trials and, and tribulations and stress, you know, you, you kind of, um, you, 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 um, you basically come together as residents, right? Us against the system. But sometimes you feel like you have like a little bit of a, or at least at that point, I was sometimes thinking, I was like, maybe I got like this little scarlet letter on me. Like they think that, you know, because I'm a DO, I'm a little bit different. And I went above and beyond and I crushed it. And, you know, back then they didn't treat me any differently. They didn't do anything to make me feel that way. It was the thoughts that I had. So I would tell any osteopathic medical student, like, if you want to get it, then go get it. You know, if you want to get into a general surgery program that's, that takes mainly allopathic students, then, you know, you need to go and be as aggressive as possible, take the opportunities that may be presented to you. They may not be very visible, but um, you can do it. I did it. You know, I, I wasn't the type of person who killed it on my boards. I did okay. I did okay on my grades. You know, I got good letters of recommendation, but I think the biggest advice that I can give to people is just make sure that you take opportunities and kick that door open and don't wait for someone to give you an opportunity. Otherwise, you're going to be on the outside looking in. Perfect. I like it. 
Once you are done with your fellowship as a trauma surgeon, what other opportunities are there to further subspecialize? Uh, that's a that's a really good question. So, um, so as a trauma surgeon, the subspecialty that you're in is called trauma critical care. After that, that's that's pretty much it. Now you can go and get some additional education, like like other specialties can. You can go and and uh, and uh, you know take additional courses in ultrasound, uh, which is very useful if you're trying to figure out if someone is bleeding in their abdomen or has blood anywhere else. You, the ability to use ultrasound, it's cheap, it's quick, you know, and um, you know it's something that doesn't require moving the patient to a CT scanner where they can drop their pressure or they can you know end up you know dying of as- asphyxiation if they have a, a collapsed lung. So you can get additional training in ultrasound. You can get additional training in mostly anything. Now, will you get additional certification? No. Um, but it's always good to have that training, additional training, you know, in your back pocket because you never know when you're going to use it. If you want to get any type of additional training that may, you know, get you certified in something else, more than more and less, you may have to do an additional fellowship. So, for example, if you want to be really good at laparoscopic surgery, you'll have to do another year. But that's not in trauma. That's just in laparoscopic, minimally invasive type surgery. Or if you want to do some other type of thing, um, plastic surgery, obviously you'd have to go into a plastic surgery um, residency again. So that's not even an option. Okay. What other specialists do you work the closest with? That's a good question. Um, So in trauma, um, we work pretty much always with a orthopedic surgeon. Obviously, there's a lot of broken bones. We also work with neurosurgeons because a lot of people get head injuries and a lot of spinal uh, cord or uh, spinal cord injuries. Um, We also work with plastic surgeons and oral maxillofacial surgeons just because people get a lot of broken bones in their face, missing teeth, um, broken noses, um, you know, eye sockets that get broken. And the other service that we work a lot with at times can be cardiothoracic. And that's for obvious reasons, patients who have a significant injury to their heart um, or even have a significant injury to their ribs and may have a deformity of their ribs and may have a a significant amount of blood in their chest or um, any type of major thoracic injury. At times, we may have to work with a cardiothoracic surgeon just because they're a little bit more facile in those areas of the body than we are. Are there any special opportunities outside of clinical medicine for trauma surgeons? Well, um, one thing that you will see a lot of trauma surgeons associated with is um, EMS. So um, making sure that the uh, paramedics and uh, EMTs are as efficient as possible, you'll oftentimes see a trauma surgeon who is in charge of that service and making sure that they're following all protocols. So for example, if EMS gets called to a scene and a patient is found down, if there's not enough training, maybe an EMT may bring that patient to the ER and allow the ER to work that patient up. But if the patient has a bunch of bruises on his head or has some, um, um, you know, anything else on the rest of their body that may suggest that they have fallen, if a trauma surgeon did the education and ER comes together with trauma, they may be able to educate EMS to say, well, maybe what we should do first is let's have the patient evaluated by the trauma service. And then if there's no other injuries, then they can get evaluated by the medical service. 
So those are things in which a trauma surgeon can be outside of, you know, being in the hospital and have effect on the healthcare system. Obviously, someone like me, I'm a trauma surgeon. I do podcasts where I just interview, you know, ordinary doctors who do extraordinary things. Like I interviewed you, Dr. Gray, on the show. Um, so there are opportunities where you can just kind of create your own type of um, experience. Um, but basically, with met, you know, with trauma surgeon, as with most other specialties, I think you know the world is your oyster. As a doctor, you know, whatever you do, you just have so many opportunities to do kind of anything you want. And um, I've been really grateful to to rec- recognize that early. Well, recognize that at this point, I think early on, I just kind of felt, well, if I was a trauma surgeon, that's it. That's all I'm ever going to be. Um, but um, understanding that as a doctor, you just have so many different ways that you can branch off in and go into is is it's very fascinating. And I, and I love it. What do you know now about trauma surgery that you wish you knew going into it? So where I trained at in Atlanta, Georgia, trauma surgery was a burden on the hospital. Um, the biggest obvious reason is that the majority of trauma patients at my facility were indigent populations. So as you can imagine, as you asked me before, what are the other subspecialties that you work with? You work with an orthopedic surgeon at times, you work with a neurosurgeon at times, you work with a cardiothoracic surgeon, vascular surgery sometimes also. But all of these other services, they're expensive. So if you have someone who comes through and they're in a car accident and they have uh, polytrauma, you know, and if they don't have insurance, it could be a huge expense for the hospital because a lot of that care has to oftentimes be written off. But that occurs a lot of times in areas where you have patients who don't have a lot of insurance or, um, you know, indigent populations. But when I ended up becoming a trauma surgeon and going into uh, areas where people have car insurance or people, um, you know, have other various ways, health insurance to pay for this. I didn't know that trauma surgery could be as lucrative for a hospital as well as for the providers uh, as it is. And, um, you know, where I, the hospital that I'm at, actually trauma surgery is not a burden. Trauma surgery is actually the biggest uh, moneymaker for the hospital just because there's just so many different tenets of care of someone coming in through the ED, being evaluated by a trauma surgeon, getting multiple tests, um, that are necessary, obviously, um, by a trauma surgeon. And then if they have to go to an intensive care unit, that same trauma surgeon will have to take care of them. And there's tests, there's radiologic uh, evaluations, there's you know, rounding on a daily basis, there's additional procedures, and then also seeing the patient be discharged and being discharged to a rehab facility possibly also. So um, I think outside of indigent areas, trauma surgery is very um, is a moneymaker for hospitals. So that's one thing I wish I had known before because – I think I oftentimes got physicians who tried to turn me away from trauma surgery because they said, well, why would you want to do trauma surgery and, and be looked down by you know hospital administration because you're just a burden to them? Whereas in my current situation, you know, the, the, the administrations can't get enough of, of trauma surgery. They want more trauma surgeons. Okay. What do you like the most about being a trauma surgeon? You know, the thing that I like the most is being a jack of all trades. I really, really enjoy that. I really enjoy the being a jack of all trades in a situation where there's so much stress going on that maybe some people can't handle it. Um, and just kind of being trained in all of these different areas and knowing that you got to stay calm. You have to orchestrate a lot of people. You're running a team and you're seeing someone literally from the door when they come in all the way to when they're discharged 
and you're in charge of all facets of their care. To me, that's extremely fascinating, and I love it. And that's why I went into trauma surgery. On the flip side, what do you like the least? <laughs> um, that's a lot to handle, I think, also. I think it's very stressful. I think whereas in other specialties, if something goes wrong and you can't handle the situation, you get to kind of triage it to another person. In trauma surgery, you don't really have that option. So it's a situation where it's constant stress and that eventually can weigh on you, can wear on you. And I'm still in my late 30s and I already feel the stress of that. So I know for a fact that I, I can't continue like this into my 50s. It's just, it's not sustainable. So that's the biggest thing that I don't like about trauma surgery is is that it's uh, the stress can wear you down, but it's also at the same time, it's like an addiction, right? I love it. <laughs> Do you see any major changes coming to the field of trauma surgery, whether that's technologies or medicines or whatever? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that change is already occurring, right? So trauma in the 80s and 90s was known to be not as operative as other specialties, mainly because if you think about it, um, during the 90s and even the late 80s, a lot of this technology, CT scans and um, all of these different procedures that you could do with interventional radiology, that came out. So people that, like I said before, would normally get an operation and whether it's negative, you don't find anything in the abdomen or you don't find anything in any other part of the body. Oh, well, that's the way how it goes in trauma surgery. You know, that those days have, have passed us. So there was a time where a lot of trauma surgeons basically lost the operative skills that they that they had and that they acquired in residency. So you had a bunch of trauma surgeons who just weren't very good at operating. Now they can take care of someone in the ICU, they can take care of a car accident person, uh, you know, whatever it may be. They can take a spleen out, but they may not be as good taking out an appendix or gallbladder or what have you. So this new field that has come up is something that's called emergency general surgery or acute care surgery. And what that is, is basically it's a different thought, thought process. And it is, well, if a trauma surgeon has to be in-house, why don't you have him handle all the general surgery emergencies that occur in a hospital? Someone needs their gallbladder taken out, trauma surgeon will take it. Someone gets stabbed in the chest, trauma surgeon will take care of it. If someone breaks their leg and you know, they have a bone sticking out. Well, the trauma surgeon may be able to take care of it initially, make sure he washes it out and gets the leg kind of in the right place. And then in the morning time, the orthopedic surgeon can do the definitive closure and put the, you know, all the, the missing parts, put them all right back together. And that um, type of thought process has served trauma surgery very well because now we are back um, operating, you know, and there's no longer these long stretches of time where we're not operating anymore. And then also at the same time, it helps the general surgeons who have very busy elective services in the morning. They don't have to be, they don't have to come in in the middle of the night and take out an appendix when at seven o'clock in the morning, they have like a Whipple surgery, which is if, if you, if some medical students or pre-meds don't know about it is one of the most, uh, uh, uh intricate surgeries that you can do in the abdomen. And it takes roughly about five to seven hours um, so that surgeon is no longer tired because he doesn't have to come in in the middle of the night. And then also the trauma surgeon can still get his hands dirty also. So it kind of is the best of both worlds. So that's the biggest thing that has come in the last five, maybe even 10 years. In terms of technology, 
I think you know technology continues to push things further and further. I think the biggest things, obviously, is things that you can do with your cell phone, um, technology that gets smaller and smaller that you can transport patients with. Um, that, but I think that's that's small time in comparison to um, you know combining uh, trauma surgery with emergency general surgery. If you had to do it all over again, would you choose the same specialty? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very, very good question. We only speak the truth here. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I think that my thought process has changed a lot from medical school and residency from a gunner mentality to now more of a, I enjoy what I do, but also at the same time, I'm not defined by being a physician, right? Knee Darko, Dr. Darko, um, there's more to, to Knee Darko than just being a doctor. And I think if I had that thought process in medical school, I may not have decided to go into general surgery. And that's just real talk, you know? I think I may have decided to do something else where I would be able to really take care of patients the way I wish I want to take care of it, but also at the same time have a lifestyle where I can get away. And when I'm off, I am off. No, where, no matter where I go. So it's just, you know, I'm, I work for two weeks and then I'm off for two weeks. That's at this facility, but that may not be the same at another facility. But in emergency medicine, you know, you work a certain amount of shifts a month and then you are guaranteed that you're going to have that time, you know, some time off wherever you go, because that's just the way how emergency medicine is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then in other specialties also, you know, like family medicine, it's very stressful, but is it as stressful as, you know, someone's lung hanging out of their chest when they come through the ED? No, it's relative. Um, so I, I, who knows? I may have thought I may, if I had to do it again, I may choose something different. So any last words of wisdom for the pre-meds medical students, residents out there that are looking at trauma surgery? My, um, uh, last piece of advice is relax, take a big, deep breath. If you want to be a trauma surgeon, there are plenty of places, plenty of spots available for you to get into trauma surgery. From a pre-med standpoint, focus on getting into medical school. Focus on being the best student that you can be. And also at the same time, if you want to, take some opportunities to go and shadow a general surgeon and then also contrast that with shadowing a trauma surgeon so you can see the differences in how they practice. From a med student perspective, this is the time for you to really do as well as you can with your boards, as well as you can with um, you know, your rotations, but also at the same time, you can start laying the foundation for your commitment to general surgery if that's where you're interested in. And obviously, as a resident, the big things are, you know, keep an open mind, give all of your rotations a, 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 an equal share of your attention. Um, but also at the same time, if you know for a fact at that point that that's what you want to do, go and get it. You know, don't let anybody keep an opportunity from you. And know that trauma surgery is extremely rewarding. Um, I enjoy it every day. It is stressful. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, but also at the same time, you're dealing at people at, with people at their most vulnerable states. And nobody else can say that. And being able to take care of someone from the ED to upstairs to ICU to OR to discharge, not many other specialties say they can do that. And for me, I'm very grateful and humbled that I have the opportunity to do that. So um, I just want to leave you all with that. All right, so there you have it, trauma surgery from Dr. Nee Darko. I hope you got a lot of great information out of the podcast today. If you are interested in trauma surgery, 
go ahead and take another listen to this. Make sure you take some notes and go out and get the experience, get the exposure that you need to make sure that trauma surgery is right for you. And don't forget to come back next week because maybe we'll have a guest that changes your mind and you'll be interested in something else. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the Specialty Stories Podcast.